Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. Hope everybody had a very good Thanksgiving weekend. We're recording this on Sunday afternoon. It's a big ask for uh, one of our guests here, Royce Young, because Royce, I know you've been fo- you're following the Browns game every snap because you're such a big Browns fan. The Steelers are playing. That's right, Browns. lifelong, lifelong, lifelong Browns fan. Of course, Baker got dinged up in the first half, and for all I know, he's not playing the second half. And you'll abandon your Browns fandom. But uh, I don't know. Maybe he'll throw three three touchdowns in the second half while uh, we're recording this. Um, so Royce is joining us from Oklahoma City and joining us from Florida, where he is set up for the best time of the year in Florida before the snowbirds get there, is Bobby Marks, our front office insider. Hi, Bobby. Hey, guys. How are we doing? Doing good. Um, by the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't start off with talking about another 60-point game from James Harden uh, over the weekend, Saturday night. He's had – is that his second this year, this season? Or he had a 58-point game this season? Um, they put up 158 on the Hawks. By the way, as a quick aside, um, I am I am incorrect a lot. I was way incorrect on the Hawks, man. I, I he, Even with John Collins out, I, I thought that they would be a, a mid to high 30s win team. I was really bullish on them. I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs, but I thought maybe they could sniff around at the eighth seed and have a real step forward year. So they have played the hardest schedule in the league so far, but <laughs> you have 158. They're 4 and 16. And um, <laughs> Harden just absolutely played with them. Just played with them. He's, he's playing at an incredibly high level. Bobby, I. It's annoying to watch him go to the line, but you can't deny the mastery that he has. And what a amazing, another amazing performance by him. Well, I think we just take him for granted. <laughs> I think that's kind of where we are at this stage of things. And I think if it was a player that had just come onto the scene and was doing this, he would probably be on you know, the cover of magazines or on the cover of ESPN, and we would be entitling him the new scoring king of the NBA. But you know we've we've seen this we've seen this routine you know and that probably not at the, not at this stage guys but we've seen this before and it's always been about you know James Harden gets judged i guess what happens in the, in the playoffs here and um but yeah i mean to to kind of turn on the game you know last night flicking around and and get on there and and have him end with 60 at the end of the third quarter against an Atlanta team right and Brian you you hit it right on the head i was I thought this team was a team that could compete in the, for one of those back end of the, uh, end of the playoff spots, but you, know, you give up 158 to Houston. You gave up 150, I think, to the Clips. Um, you yes. are giving up Without, 130. I don't think uh, Kawhi played that night either, right? No, he, he didn't. And um, yeah. you know, I know that the John Collins. I know I'm getting off Harden here, but the John, John Collins suspension. But this team is in a free for all of young players here, and it's basically uh, Trey Young on, a, on an island by himself. Their defense is atrocious. Just, it's atrocious. And I realize even if they had John Collins, it would be atrocious, but Jesus. Um, yeah, I had him. I think I picked him eighth in the uh, East, Brian. <laughs> the Hawks. So, yeah, I'm not. Uh, Man. Um, and that's where I'm headed this week. So that's going to be, you know, it's, it's never it's never a fun time when you're going somewhere where, where a team is playing horribly. So. I know. I did uh, a piece with the uh, Timberwolves that will be coming out soon. I was just there um, last, I guess, two weeks ago now. And. They're winning a little bit, but you, you know, the, 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 while I was there, they were losing games, and um, it, it's it's hard to do your nicely crafted feature story that you flew in for when the team right. is losing. But 
You know, but um, you, you know, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Harden, Bobby. I, I did want to say, yeah, and, and Brian, you said it well too. That yeah, it is kind of annoying, you know, the way that he can draw the fouls and all that stuff, and and all that is is fair and it's true. But one of the things that I guess I I come back to is just the nightly discussion about it, and that instead of just looking at James Harden and saying, "Wow, he scored sixty on twenty four shots in thirty one minutes." And yeah, you can look at free throws or whatever, but you know, Tim McMahon tweeted it out. You know, the game where Kobe scored sixty-two through three quarters. I think he shot twenty-five free throws in that game. And there is, it does seem like that there's this disconnect on, I guess the the manner in which the free throws happen. That you know, Luka Doncic had a huge scoring game the other night where he took like twenty-four free throws or whatever it was, and we didn't meticulously um, litigate each and every free throw that he took. And I don't know why we, we feel the need to do that with Harden on a nightly basis, instead of just recognizing that the guy is probably, I mean, he's at least the greatest scorer in the last 20 years, but maybe ever, honestly, at this point. Well, here's point. what's I so interesting about the Harden, the way people look at Harden. So often the people that drive the conversation are media folks and fans to a certain extent. A lot of the conversation about Harden is driven by the players. Yeah. Um, taking a pretty healthy sampling of players. And just within the last month, I was with a, another Hall of Fame player who was complaining about the way Harden played. And the players themselves, it irritates them. And I think especially because they are the ones who Harden baits. And uh, I think you're his, exactly right about that. I had many um, conversations about Paul George last year, or with Paul George, about defending Harden. And Paul is you know, incredibly respectful and, and you know, had had all nice things to yeah, say he's about not a trash all the time, but, but he general. completely would acknowledge how frustrating it is to guard Harden. And as a player, you go into a game with a completely different mentality about how you want to basically defend a player, and he's unique in that manner. And so, you know, while Paul George is unbelievably kind and gracious and respectful, it was it's one of those moments at, for him to kind of even acknowledge, to be like, look, it's no fun to play that guy just for this specific reason. I think it, I think it kind of speaks volumes. Well, you know, he, um, he's kind of, yes, Mr. Han. Booming. Oh, I'm sorry, Brian. I just wanted to point out just to, for clarity here, Harden has had six 40 point games this season, a 59 point game. And of course the 60 point game that you are mentioning from the other night, I believe, I believe the kids call it cheesing when you in video games, when you pin someone in the corner and you don't let them up, that's the way he mm-hmm. plays. That's why it's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you know I, who I, he I, reminds I, me of. It's like I, you, you remember Kevin Martin, the way Kevin Martin. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. Western Carolina own right. Yeah, would yeah. like I, he had this ability to do the dark arts where he could see where a player's position were and he would jump up into his armpit and or he would you know specifically stick his hand in his you know it's like. James Harden studied what Kevin Martin did, or whoever Kevin Martin got it from, and then elevated it from like graduate level to doctorate level, combined with the fact that he's got an absolutely unguardable step back that doesn't need a foul to have anything to do with it. Um, that even if he do, even if he doesn't get the call by by sticking his legs out and falling down, he he's just it's one of the most lethal shots. One of the most lethal lethal offensive weapons we've ever seen. So you combine the efficiency with with all and with also the way that the team has decided to play around him. It's sort of the perfect storm for scoring, but it's not the perfect storm for attractive basketball. And yeah, it's interesting and, though, Brian. Like how 
we kind of accept gamesmanship across all sports, you know, anything to gain an advantage, whatever you might do, you know, there's holding on every, every play in the NFL, right? Like, but if you're not getting caught, might as well hold the guy, right? Grab as much jersey as you can and open up the hole for your running back. Like, and we would all salute that. But the moment James Harden clamps down somebody's arm and draws a foul, then, then we're all like, how dare he? You know, he's ruining the game of basketball. The integrity of basketball is compromised because James Harden keeps gaining an advantage. So I do find a little hypocrisy in the way we approach this. Well, and also, guys, I think if uh, Kirk uh, Goldsberry, who works for us, tweeted out something on Sunday, uh, a video clip, and it's, it's, it basically sums up Harden right now. And it's, it was a play, I think, from, last, um, from the game on Saturday where um, Atlanta had, like, two defenders, like, right waiting for him at, as soon as he crossed uh, half court. Like they picked, like, like you don't see that very often. Is is getting picked up by two guys and basically saying, you know what, we're not going to let you beat us. Beat us, you know, let Ben Macklemore or one of the Austin Rivers or one of these other guys beat us here. And uh, it's 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 just fascinating how teams. I mean, you saw it with Denver with Mike Malone. They he basically yeah. game planned it like it was a playoff game, right? I mean, it was like a yeah. it was like game two of a, of a playoff game. Or, or like the tactic, Bobby, of like Rubio basically guarding Harden from behind. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like getting, you know, taking the extremes that they've tried to kind of and isn't, But isn't that the like guy? the ultimate compliment, though? Like isn't oh, that yeah. them saying like um, you are such a dominant force? scheme for you? Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I, I will admit it, though. I mean, like he's not the most enjoyable player to watch. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't love watching James Harden play. But I think, that, I think that it's fair to feel that way about a guy while also acknowledging that he's – Maybe the best score the NBA's ever had, at least he is uh, in the last 20 years. Well, last year, I've told the story before, but I'll just bring it back. Like, um, when I was deciding on my MVP vote, and I ultimately went with, uh, with Giannis because I just felt like he's such a superior defender. I, I voted for Giannis for Defensive Player of the Year as well. So um, that's what broke the tie for me was the defensive play. More Giannis's greatness than Harden or anything. But mm-hmm. Scottie Pippen absolutely worked on me for 10, 15 minutes on why he felt Giannis was more deserving of Harden. And I would be lying to you if I didn't say that it didn't influence my vote a little bit. Um, Because the points that he brought up about Harden's play um, were were interesting, but um, it really echoed a lot of what I've heard about him, uh, while other players' opinion of him. But again, just because you vote somebody second for MVP, and I've I've also voted for Harden for MVP two or three times, um, doesn't mean that you hate them, but yeah. um, <laughs> you voted a guy uh, second. How dare you? You must yeah, really hate um, them. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was fascinating to listen to Scotty make his case, and Scotty's point basically was that um, uh, the way Giannis plays is better for is is better team basketball that accomplishes the goal of the team as opposed to the way Harden plays, which is more aimed at you know taking care of himself. Now. Having said that, Daryl Morey would absolutely square off with you on this topic and say that team basketball is scoring two points the most efficient way possible to get your team the victory. And he's not wrong. But um, players do feel very strongly about it. Um, speaking of Giannis, uh, the Bucks, I don't want to say quietly, but they haven't gotten as maybe as much attention from this podcast. But the Bucks just won their 11th consecutive game. They are 17 and 3. They have not played one of the more difficult schedules thus far. Their schedule, I think, in, 
it'll be updated, you know, by the time this podcast comes out, it won't be accurate anymore, but it was about the ninth easiest schedule to this point. Um, so, you know, the, the win that they had, they won by 40 on Saturday against, uh, I think it was Charlotte. Um, 17 and three. That's with Chris Middleton missing. He missed seven games. He just came back on Saturday, came off the bench. So they're second in the score missing seven games. Um, they have been, uh, everything as advertised thus far. Uh, George Hill, who has taken up some of the minutes, um, that were left when Brogdon left, um, has played, you know, pretty solid basketball. Giannis has played more at point guard, uh, or at least more handling the ball. And he's putting up preposterous numbers, average, um, preposterous numbers, averaging 31, 13, and six assists with a steal and a half and a block and a half. Um, just tremendous numbers. His three point shooting has marginally improved in the amount he's taking. He's still shooting under 30%, but he is just an absolute killer uh, scoring in the interior. He's shooting 65% on two pointers. That's one thing that he and Luca have in common. Um, Luca is an absolute killer uh, scoring inside the paint, although Luca does it without having to dunk. Giannis throws the ball down. Um, uh, Bobby, Giannis is having another MVP level campaign, and the Bucks, despite their changes in the offseason, 17 and 3, and not showing any signs of, uh, of slowing down. No, and what they did was, you know, they've got, you know, Dante DiVincenzo playing, you know, starter minutes now with, and I'm, I'm sure Chris Middleton will, will move back to his old position, but they've gotten really good production from him. You know, you talk about Giannis playing at another, you know, all-star level. Uh, the other game, there was a game earlier in the week where, he, you know, he hit, I think, three of eight from three and one was down the stretch. And you're thinking, man, if he starts hitting these, right? Like if he starts hitting threes down the stretch, um, you know, this Milwaukee team is going to be better than it, you know, certainly was last year. And, um, I think they're, I think they're, although they lost Malcolm Brogdon, um, I think they might be a little bit deeper here. I, I really do, especially if, if with, with Hill, George Hill and Robin Lopez and, um, you know, Ilya Sovin, they got some good minutes last night from, uh, DJ Wilson in the sat in the Saturday game here, but, um, they are kind of just you know steam, quietly steamrolling through um, you know through the Eastern Conference right now. You know what's interesting to me, Bobby, is you mentioned the um, the big shots Giannis has hit from the perimeter late in games, and that's something that I think is becoming more noticeable. And you know, one of the books on the Bucks in the postseason last year was Giannis can't shoot. You can scheme against that. Teams started playing you know significant drop coverage, really trying to wall off the paint and basically dare him to beat them with jumpers but you know I think that throughout the season for one Giannis is clearly gaining some confidence in that type of shot but he has knocked down some clutch perimeter jumpers throughout the season already and so one yeah he's gaining confidence in it and two I think teams might have to defend him a little differently and man that unlocks so much that that, to me that that takes the kind of maybe Achilles heel, heel of the Bucks in the postseason and flips it on its head if and, and that's that's a big if if it if it's going to continue. But I think that there is something to be said for the fact that Giannis is more confident, and teams are starting to take notice and having to defend that a little differently in clutch time. And they're, and they're actually, you know, for as much as three point shooting is a part of their game, they're actually not getting great percentage shooting. Um, 
Um, and they didn't really last year either, did they, Brian? I mean, they, they weren't great. Well, Brooke Lopez was pretty team. damn good last year. Um, right, but, like in, but as a team, I mean, they were putting up 38, 40 a game, but, you know, and they routinely maybe hit 11 or 12, but they were more of a volume team than a percentage team. True. Well, George Hill has shot the ball very well from three. He's been their best three-point shooter. And um, even though Wesley Matthews overall hasn't maybe played as well as maybe they were hoping, um, at least offensively, um, he shot the ball okay. Brooke Lopez is shooting less than 30% from three-point range, which um, uh, that was a huge aspect of their game last year. But they're efficient, so very efficient offensively, mostly because of um, – of Giannis. So again, these, these numbers will wiggle a little bit, um, you know, by the time you hear this podcast, but, um, they've, they've been a top five offense and a top five defense, um, for pretty much the entire season. And yeah, when you put up, you know, production like that on a steady basis, you know, you're going to churn wins. That's just, that's just, that's the nature of it. And, um, you know, it's a fair question about whether they are a better team than they were a year ago. Um, because they, uh, by the way, Pat Connaughton isn't shot the ball well from, di- from distance either. Um, he's been a guy who. I swear I've never seen him make a three. <laughs> I see him take him all the time. I've never seen one go in. Well, I know he's a good baseball pitcher. I've never seen him go in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Notre Dame, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, what I'm saying is, I actually think there's room for them to improve because I think that their three point shooting can get a little bit better. So, yeah, he's down about yeah. five, four or five points, percentage points from last year. So, um, you know, but their schedule will toughen up. Like like many teams that are that are high, um, high profile teams, they don't play a lot of their uh, high profile games until the second half of the season because they want the TV games after the football season. Um, and they did lose the one meeting they've had against the Celtics, which was a, probably the one of the most relevant games that's been played in the in the East so far this year. Because I think that and their Clippers showdown, Kawhi didn't play, right? So that's right. That was very no, that would have been a, that would have been a little bit of a measuring measuring bar game there. But. Yeah, I was there that night, um, but they played they played really well that night. Um, so, but they're sort of just sort of sneakily going along here um, because they haven't had a lot of drama happen to them. Um, Giannis, despite his numbers, um, gets highlights but doesn't seem to get a lot of headlines. And um, you know, for example, and I understand why, but like. Luca's season is getting uh, a ton of attention, as it should. He's a second-year player. He's, uh, he's he's carrying his team that's been out of the playoffs for a while into the conversation. Um, but Giannis' stats are, you know, in a lot of ways, as impressive or more impressive than Luca's. Um, and but because Giannis is the reigning MVP, we expect it. Whereas Luca, a new entrant to the MVP conversation, um, draws more of the more of the attention. But you know, Giannis yeah. having just a just a spectacular season. Um, yeah. And by well, the, the way, infatuation Luka, stays with Luca. Still averaging a, a thirty point triple double. By the way, for the season, we're now eighteen games in. Still averaging. Um, they may play later today, but uh, and the the, the you know uh, LA, the Lakers right? Are they in L A. Uh, they are in LA. Yeah, the Lakers um, are playing for their eleventh consecutive win later tonight. So we've talked a lot about the Lakers here. The Lakers um, have the second best defense in the league, and and um, I felt like during their road trip, guys, that the Lakers' defense was a little bit had taken a maybe a half of a step back a little bit, maybe because they were playing at such a high level. 
Um, but they came home from their four game road trip and played the, um, the Wizards, who believe it or not have, uh, top two offense, uh, in the league and absolutely put a chokehold on the Wizards. Uh, I think the Wizards barely cracked like 70 points in the first three quarters. And, um, <laughs> put down any any uh, immediate concerns about their defense, but the Lakers have a chance to get their um, to get their eleventh consecutive win later on. But the Bucks, um, you know, steam me along. Hello, no one is available to take your call. Andrew, I saw you the other day. Um, you had a watch on, and it was fine. But I don't think that someone of your stature should be wearing a watch. I think you should be wearing a timepiece, okay? You need to upgrade to a timepiece. And let me help you do that by instructing you to take a look at Tissot. Because I'm sure you know this, but Tissot is the official watch of the NBA. And each one of their timepieces delivers quality performance and traditional luxury. And when I think of Andrew Hahn, I think of traditional luxury. I think we all do. Tissot prides itself on the precision and style of its classic sport and contemporary collections while committing to make excellence accessible to everyone. You've got a great variety of touch watches to sport to classic to trendy. And you can check out their latest timepieces at us.tissotshop.com and, of course, at jewelry stores nationwide. As a reminder, as you know, they are the official timekeeper of the NBA, and they're bringing you a special opportunity tied to the most iconic moment in the game, the buzzer beater. Every time a buzzer beater happens, fans will be rewarded with prizes, including flyaway trips, autographed merchandise, game tickets, and more. You can sign up for that. We all know we're in buzzer beater season here. You can sign up for that at us.tissoshop.com slash buzzer beater to enter for your chance to win. Don't wait. You can also win a trip to the All-Star Game in Chicago, and that's going to be given out soon, so sign up soon. You can also follow hashtag thisisyourtime and tiso.us on Facebook and Instagram for more information about that. Tiso and at Tiso on Twitter. Another team that has been going along very, very well and we haven't talked a lot about are the Denver Nuggets. Now, they had their winning streak snapped on Saturday. Um, but they're 13 and 4. And this is a team that, um, has, it, it, their season hasn't turned out the way a lot of people thought it would. Jokic got off to a slow start, um, but he's come around. There was immense excitement about Michael Porter Jr. at the start of this season. I, I remember people were treating his preseason debut like it was a um, a major event, and they were furious when Mike Malone didn't bring him in until the third quarter of that game. He has contributed very little, has not been a part mm-hmm. of the rotation, has, has sat um, a whole bunch of games for coach's decision. And meanwhile, Will Barton, the guy that I thought that they would have to upgrade from at small four, I thought that was like the hole on their roster that they may um, maybe make a, a deal to, to uh, replace. Missed the first couple of games of the season with injury and has come back and has put together 15 really solid games. He has totally sewn up that small forward spot for them, so much so that Torrey Craig, who was their starter at the start of the season, now routinely you know doesn't even play. And, Bobby, the one thing about the Nuggets that has helped them is they've played, I think, the fewest games in the league, so they've had a little bit more rest than everybody else so far. And they haven't had any injuries. Um, there's been a couple of, of turned ankles here or there. Like I said, Will Barton 
missed the first couple games. They've had the, the healthiest team in the league, and they're already very deep. They, they have uh, five or six different guys who are averaging double figures. And um, after, you know, you put those two things together, and their schedule has been favorable, but they've taken advantage and, and rolled off a whole bunch of wins and are one of the teams that's playing the best in the West. They are the team that I picked to go to the NBA Finals at all. I think I was the only one on the uh, on on Denver this year, just because of I thought I am a I'm a huge proponent of continuity, just based on they brought this whole roster back. I thought that losing the Portland how they did last year in in Game Seven at home will certainly left a bad taste in their mouth. And I thought um, I thought this team would be a, you know a lot probably a lot better than what they are. I think they maybe spoiled us a little bit. They're, they're certainly a good good team. I think the Sacramento loss where they blew a seventeen half seventeen point half halftime lead is a little bit concerning. I think they do get bored at times, Brian. Mm-hmm. It seems um, they they turn it on when they want that Houston win. Um, I think this past week showed that when they're clicking on all cylinders, they they play at a high level. Um, you know, you've got in, um, you know, uh, Jokic has been kind of up and down has, has played a lot better. My, my concern though, is going to be like we saw in the playoffs. Like when we get into these close games, like who is going to be your closer, right? Who is, when you're playing the Clippers or the Lakers, we know who, who those teams are, but who is going to be the closer down the stretch? Do you have enough confidence in Jamal Murray right now to do so? And, I think there are certainly times this year and, and some of those losses that, that that kind of has reared its ugly head again. Yeah, I think I think Mike Malone really wants Jamal Murray to be that guy, Bobby. But, you know, what kind of makes them just sort of this inverted team is that everything runs through Jokic. And, and like you said, in that Portland series, they you get kind of in this ironic twist of, well, Jokic is, you know, one of the most brilliant offensive players in the game, can set people up for open shots all over the place. But he's setting you know players up in crunch time, big shot moments, and that's just Jokic's mentality. Is he's going to make the right play, he's going to make the right pass, and he's not going to necessarily assert himself. He doesn't really want to do that. So you, it, it's it's sort of this rock and a hard place thing sometimes. I think for the Nuggets in close games, again, they are excellent in close games in in the regular season. They won a ton of them last year, and they're winning a bunch of them this year. I think they might be seven and one, eight and one in two possession games. Uh, they're really good at them, but. When, when the temperature rises and the intensity is there of a postseason game, I think that they're looking at Jamal Murray and being like, you got to be this guy. And, you know, he, he had it against the Suns the other night. He hit a couple big threes down the stretch and turned what was a close game into a, a double-digit game. But uh, I, I think you said it well. I do think they, they've gotten bored at times because some of their losses have been on the backs of blown leads, less so than them just not showing up. They, they seem to build leads. Their defense kind of crumbles. And and they aren't uh, you know they aren't as engaged as they otherwise might be you know Brian you said Michael Porter Jr. I don't remember before the season there were people picking him to win Rookie of the Year over Zion and and doing it yeah. with quite a bit of conviction you know and like that uh, that conversation feels uh, a couple a couple miles away at this point. Well, I mean you know there's still a lot of time left. It's just it's also difficult for him because that team is so deep. Um, like I said, Tory Craig who was a really Key contributor mm-hmm. for them last season and a half. Um, he has he's been getting DMP CDs as well. Um, yeah. I think that people in Denver would argue that their the way that they win games is not by handing the ball to Jamal Murray or, or Jokic or whomever, right. but the way that they win games is they stop the other team from scoring. That their that their star 
play is their five-man defensive unit, and they are terrific defensively. They are one of three teams that, at least as of right now, as of this moment, are uh, holding teams to less than 100 points per 100 possessions. So they're a top three defensive team. And they, um, because of their depth and because of their overall, uh, you know, you got Paul Millsap, who's one of the smartest, um, uh, most savvy uh, guys out there, who is one of the reasons they can they can be flexible with their defense. Um, that's what they would argue that they're going to win. They're going to win with their their defensive ability. Bobby, I would say that the Nuggets, when you look at their roster, because because they are maybe at the upper reaches of what they're willing to spend as an organization, they have not been a team that has been willing to spend at all costs. They have gone into the luxury tax in the past, but um, they're they're cautious about it. Um, and they have like three guys on their roster who are. Um, who are free agents at the end of the year, who they may not be able to re-sign. Um, plus they have uh, Mason Plumley, who is a expiring contract of some size, even though he plays an important role for them. Um, don't you think that Denver is a team that once we get into trade season could be on the hunt maybe for another scoring option if, if that's the direction they decide to go? Well, you're right. I mean, they've got... They've got the Mil- Paul Millsup contract, who he, and he's played real well, you know, and in, in you know he's averaging close to fourteen points, and that's a high number. You've got um, you know Mason Plumley, you've got Jeremy Grant, right, who's got a player option, will likely opt out of that, and, you, and you, as you mentioned, Tory Craig. So you're, you're and you've also got Malik Beasley too, who's really has not had a good year. Um, I think he's shooting under forty percent, and is has had a bunch of DMPs here there who. Um, you know, and is going to be a restricted free agent. So um, they've got a lot of different pieces. You've got that Gary Harris contract too, Brian. That's um, as at a pretty good number. It's right around I think sixteen, seventeen million dollars. So they've got they've got the pieces to, to to make a deal if they want expiring contracts, young players. I know their pick goes to um, uh, goes to Oklahoma City, but you know, of course, you can trade you know down the road here. So it, it's going to be based on. Yeah, you know, as I say, are we content with what we have and not wanting to change? Does you know uh, Tim Connolly, their GM, look at it and say, "Hey, this is exactly like where we were a year ago." You know, we're probably a second round team, or do we kind of just, as I say, jump in the deep end and go after you know, a, you know, a, do you get a, a two guard? Do you do you get an upgrade here? Because as is, this is a fifty plus one team that will win, that will probably finish top four in, in the Western Conference, right? Um, but then, as you guys know, it gets expensive. It's, as Brian said, they don't, they're reluctant to, to go into the luxury tax. They have an open roster spot, and they're about 955000 below. And they've kept that open as a, as a result of that. So um, what's the cost as far as getting this team kind of into that next, I guess, into that next level here? Yeah, and, and you know, Let me ask you trading this, for like, Jeremy Grant say... was kind of their big deal, wasn't it? I mean, that that was kind of... You you invest a first round pick in a player like that. I mean, that's you know they've already made. Yeah, and I think they hope to keep him. They hope to keep. Yeah, him. I think like, he. I think he's insurance for Paul Millsap, right? Yeah, for the future now, of Millsap. Now let say. me, Bobby. Again, let me before I say this. This is just me spitballing. Okay, I'm not reporting this as if I've heard it. It's just me asking a question. Okay, let's say the that the Pelicans who are you know not in playoff position right now. Would consider taking offers or listening to offers for uh, JJ Redick. Would that be the type of deal that 
potentially Denver could look at. It's that type of player who would be a supporting piece. Not sure he solves your issue with having a go-to guy at the end of the game. But this is a team that needs some offensive firepower, and that's a guy who could do it, and that's a guy who maybe who, you know, who could become available if if New Orleans decides that this season it's not going their way. Well, yeah. I mean, he's got a great contract. And, you know, here's a Denver team that I think is shooting 35% from, from three this year. As you, as, as you said, Brian, they kind of – they don't win by kind of outscoring you. It's basically they grind the game down and, and you know, basically turn it into a half-court game. And um, New Orleans is interesting because we don't really – I don't really know what that roster is until Zion comes back, right? I, and I guess they'll, the, the back end of the Western Conference will probably keep you in the playoffs – you know, those 7-8, Minnesota, Phoenix, Sacramento, those teams like that, probably Portland will probably come back in the mix here. So does kind of Griff, from that standpoint, hold off a little bit and see what he's got. Um, but, you know, as I said, Denver, they've got the they've got the they've got great contracts. They've got expirings. Um, but it's just a matter of kind of, you know, if you're sitting at like, like, you know, like they have, you know, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Jeremy Grant, Malik Beasley, Paul Millsap. Mason Plumley. That's five free agents that they are they're questionable to re-sign any of them with what they have committed to their roster. So if you're already looking at a player that you may not be able to, to re-sign anyway, um, would it make sense in cashing out? Um, you know, some of those players, some of those prospects. Um, you know, that's that's one thing to to consider. Um, yeah. Bob, and that's and that's what Bobby and that's did. kind of what lost them that playoff series too though like like you know that they came up short on shooting it, when they lost to the Blazers they had some some kind of incredible dry spells shooting the basketball so I'm sure that's in the back of Tim Connolly's mind too. Um, so trade season is uh, so Bobby you've mentioned this uh, several times both on Twitter and just in our conversations the last NBA trade was what. The uh, July sixteenth, Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul, which was actually agreed upon earlier, but didn't officially happen until mid July. But that is the last NBA trade that we have seen. No trades in August, which crazy. No trades September. No preseason trades. None of those um, those uh, guys who didn't get extended got were going to get extended. None of those guys got dealt. this is an unheard of period of, of uh, quietness, uh, driven in large part by so many, you know, by, you know, a third of the league roughly, or even more because of the, the rookie contracts for a while, but you know, somewhere between 30 and 40% of the league not being tradable um, because they're, the, the guys who were just signed weren't available to trade till December 15th. Uh, I've talked to um, some executives, I've mentioned this before, that. <laughs> for lack of things to talk about, have been talking about trading uh, two-way players. Um, I think I think our first has, – has there been, ever been a two-way trade, Bobby? I think there was. Um, I think the, okay. the the Mavericks and the Lakers made – or the Clippers, I think. I think the Clippers acquired a player in a, in a two-way trade. There have been players claimed, but I do believe the uh, – Jonathan Motley uh, was was acquired in a trade by the, uh, by the Clippers. Anyway, the, this is where we are because everyone's been waiting for December 15th. 
that the player that teams have actually gone down and discussed two way trades, two players of two way deals. Everybody's just Bobby getting at, itchy. <laughs> you got to scratch an itch to make a trade. <laughs> well, they got to talk about something. They got to talk about yeah. something. Bobby, as December fifteenth comes, you know what hot spots are you looking at for there to be action? Well, I think the hot spots are probably going to be Atlanta, right? Because of the contracts with Parson, Chandler Parsons, Alan Crabb, Evan Turner, the as I call them, the big three from two th- from the 2016 cap spike, right? The guys that got <laughs> the, paid. Some and of the last going to of those be, contracts <laughs> hanging out. Yeah, and that's the other thing, Brian, is is why we're kind of at a, a slow crawl, and that's what teams are been telling me is that they're like, there's no bad contracts anymore, really. Right, like there's not that many. Like we saw, we saw Kobe Altman in Cleveland last year really kind of get out in front, right, in November and December, even before December fifteenth came around when they moved, um, you know, uh, Kyle Korver for Alec Burks, and we saw um, George Hill get traded and in, in, uh, in Cleveland take back John Henson and Matthew Delvadova, and, and they took on salary and they got draft picks. There's just not that many of those type of those contracts. Nicholas Batum is probably one of the bigger toxic contracts, right? He's owed twenty five and twenty seven million dollars for for next year, and there's a lot of teams that are sitting on these expirings. Memphis, for example, right? You've got you know you, we, we you know you certainly have talked about Andre Iguodala, but you also have Solomon Hill and Jay Crowder, guys like that. Um, but it's hard to. Um, there's not many teams out there that, um, as I said, with, with these expirings, that are, can do a Cleveland deal like they did last year. I think 27% of the NBA is on an expiring contract, right? 63% are on guy, are guys that have two or years left. And those, those contracts, and most of them are from this summer, most of them are pretty good. There's pretty good value there. There's not that many of those back end of those rotational players that are, you know, I guess Deion Waiters and James Johnson, that, that group in Miami, but there's just not that many bad contracts. Yeah. And, you know, in some cases, the teams, even if they have a bad contract, would prefer to just hold it um, as opposed to taking on longer money because everyone is now, like you look at Miami, for example, I promise you that the Heat with their young, a couple of young players developing nicely are eyeing that 2021 class. And so I'm not saying they couldn't trade Deion Waiters. I'm just saying if they're trading Deion Waiters, they're not taking on any longer money because they want to keep it clear for 2021. That's an issue. Um, but um, you would definitely think that there would be you know, this, this bubble of movement, right, Bobby? If there's been no deals for five months – you would think that there's a bit of a bubble of teams that are looking to to maneuver around, even if it's not just dumping salary, even if it's just straight, I need this and you have that, let's make a move. Well, yeah. I mean, even the teams that we maybe thought would be, have a fire sale, right? Toronto. Toronto's a good team, right? No. I mean, they're, they, they're number one on defense in the expi- league. Yeah. No, they're, they're sitting on they, – they extended Kyle Lowry, and now they've got a bunch of expirings with Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol. Um, Fred Van Vliet, who, you know, one team told me this, uh, last week, Brian, that they think that he's going to get between 25 and, and, and 30 million, which I almost fell off my chair when they told me that. Um, but, but they, let me ask I mean, you this, how- Bobby, he, 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 let me ask you this because I've had these same, same conversations from Toronto or from somebody else, because, because the teams from that somebody have space. Else. Yeah, from another team as that didn't right have now, space. <laughs> as of right now, there's a team. There's only four teams that have appreciable space next year. Is that right? That's right. So you've got Charlotte, 
Cleveland, Memphis, and Atlanta. Yep. Those are the four teams with appreciable space. Now, I can see why Van Vliet – now, he would be unrestricted. Am I right? Yes, correct. So, that, so that's, a, that's a huge factor. Um, those are all teams that are up and coming trying to build their teams, and they feel Van Vliet sits there or, uh, fit, or would fit there. But um, when, everybody th- when, when you think about free agency next year, keep in mind that those are the four teams that have money. The 2019 summer, where all where all the big markets had money, they all spent it, and now it's these small markets. You know, almost certainly all four uh, non non playoff teams. So um, there there may only be a few big contracts given out. Obviously, Anthony Davis get we assume from the Lakers a huge deal, but um, I don't I don't know where else the money is going to be given out because even those teams may be. May play close to the vest, but um, but but Royce, one of the teams that we expect. Bobby mentioned the the, the Raptors, but one of the teams that is going to really be heavily in controlling of the trade market is going to be the Thunder, mm-hmm. um, who have a number of players. Being around the Thunder all the time, where do you think their heads are about who stays, who goes, where their minds at in making deals as we are approaching December fifteenth? Well, they, you know, there was a lot of talk of patience and not rushing into anything. You know, there was always this assumption that they were going to be part of that proverbial fire sale too, and the Thunder were always, you know, ready to pump the brakes on that. They they wanted to see this team specifically, see what they could do. But really, what they were saying is there's no reason for them to make a trade before December fifteenth. You know, that's really what they were saying. And so while they're saying, hey, we want to see what this team looks like, they were also just saying there's no point in making a trade right now. So. Um, once December 15th rolls around and the market opens up a little bit and there's a little clearer picture, I think things will, will start to change and, and Sam Presti's phone will probably ring a little bit more often. The player that's, I think, first and foremost for a lot of teams, and he's, I, I assume he'll be very available to get, is Danilo Gallinari. And look, he's been really good for the Thunder so far. He's going to fit on basically any team that he goes to. He's going to be uh, you know, a valuable addition to any type of playoff team. And Portland was was a team that a lot of people felt like that was a clear and obvious fit. Carmelo Anthony, I, I don't know that Carmelo Anthony really changes that necessarily too much. Um, Gallinari would be an upgrade over Melo at this point. Even even with Melo's positive start in Portland, Gallinari's better. He's younger. He's uh, less a liability on the defensive end. If you're if you're talking about postseason rotation, Gallinari's going to fit better there. So. I, but I don't know if, if that changes Portland's desperation to get a guy like that. So, But there's a lot of teams out there that could use him. Um, I don't expect Chris Paul to be really part of these conversations. I, th- I think teams will probably make some you know, inquiries about him. There are teams out there. The Orlando Magic are, is one that a lot of people have talked about that need a point guard, need a creator. I think they're Magic more likely offense. to ask about Schroeder than they are about Chris Paul. Dennis Schroeder's been pretty good. Look, he's he's an inconsistent player, but he's kind of – OKC's de facto score, and if a team's looking for that kind of instant offensive punch, look, I don't think Denver is that, but you know, we're talking about how they need that. Dennis Schroeder's that kind of guy right now. I mean, he's he's routinely scoring between 18 and 24 points a game for the Thunder. Bobby, what so are the rules? He, he could like, be an option. I just mentioned that, that you know there's not going to be a whole lot of teams available to spend money next year. What are the rules on extend and trade? Because Gallinari is extension eligible. Could you... Let's say you liked Gallinari and you and you wanted to not just to to rent him that you hey wanted to sort of make a free agent move but you can't 
You don't have space to sign him. Could you work out an extension and trade? Like if there was a team that really wanted to keep him for, for longer than just this season? Yeah, I mean, you could do um, maximum of three years, right? You can add another another two years. I think you can, you, as long as you don't go above the 8%, right? If you stay at um, at 5%, you know, c- comparable to you know, why Kyle Lowry is, is trade eligible is because he doesn't have that six-month restriction, right? He didn't go more than, you know, more than the, the years allowed and more than the, uh, the the percentage allowed here. So, yeah, I mean, if, if, if there was a team like Portland that acquired Gallinari and then extended him, it can extend them for, you know, an additional two, two years at, you know, 5% raise off his, you know, 20 million plus uh, plus contract there. No, Bobby, this is probably a dumb question, but I just want to understand, does OKC have to extend him and trade him, or does does OKC trade him? I mean, it's rarely done. You rarely see it anymore. Um, it, can, yeah. it can be done as part of the um, as part of the transaction. Um, the likelihood is that you you know you do it, and then the, the team acquiring them um, you mm. know uh, does the extension here. But Kendrick um, Perkins but yeah, I mean, was a can... classic example of where right. that yeah. happened. Yeah. When he, but but the you know the idea would be there that Gallinari might have value more than just to play for you for, the, for three months. That right? Yeah, you know, you'd get an understanding up front to say this is not a rental. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know what, too, guys, that it affects what you trade for him as well. Go ahead. To that is that, you know, we put a, there was, there's always such a high premium on expiring contracts that if they didn't get traded by the deadline, like you basically just wasted an asset. And I think this past summer showed you that you can hold on to them. And we saw so many signing trades, right? Um, more than ever. Um, you know, certainly Jimmy Butler and, and D'Angelo Russell, guys like that, it impacted the receiving teams because of a hard cap. But, I think that's a different, another way that teams are looking at it. That if um, if if the if the price isn't right for Danilo Gallinari, you know, maybe we hold on to him and and we use mm-hmm. it. And especially with so many teams that are not having cap space, right? That you can find a trade partner out there that maybe there's something that you like better in the summer than you do in, in early February. But as I said, on the downside, you see what's going on in Golden State right now with the hard cap, right? Once you acquire that player in a signing trade, you are basically restricted as far as how you build out that roster. So, yeah. Bobby, we talked about maybe some of the sellers, Atlanta, Oklahoma City. We've talked on this podcast before about about the Spurs, what they may do with DeRozan, who has an opt-out uh, in his contract. By the way, I think if if Orlando is serious, I think that's a possible DeRozan team. Obviously, DeRozan is a issue defensively. Orlando's got a great defense, but they're terrible offensively. It's maybe a fit there if they, if they feel like they're still in it. Um, what, who are some of the buyers, do you think? I, I mentioned Denver. Who are some of the teams I, you think will be making calls instead of taking them starting in December 15th? Well, I, I think the one team, I think it's, it, I think Dallas is pretty interesting, Brian, just because you've got your two foundation pieces. As one team mentioned, like, you know, how do they get another third star, right? I mean, I think the roster, I think it's a nice roster right now, but... They've got contracts like you know um, Courtney Lee, Dwight Powell, right? And they've got that Courtney Lee. I think you've mentioned that Courtney Lee expiring um, contract. Tim Hardaway's played better. He's got a player option for next year. They don't have the picks to trade because of that Knicks um, that Knicks trade that has certainly turned out pretty well <laughs> for for the Mavericks here. Um, I think Dallas is an interesting team to watch um, when we get closer. I don't know about a buyer, but I think one team to to, to watch is Detroit, right? There's, you know, as of Sunday, they were six and thirteen. They're two and eight in the last ten. What are you going to do with Andre Drummond here, right? Uh, you know, as far as with a player option, you know, are you willing to pay him 
um, pay him big money in the offseason. It's basically one of those teams that just kind of just stuck, right? You've got that Blake, con- Blake Griffin contract hanging over. Your young base is Luke Kennard, really, right now. Um, that's a team I think to keep an eye on as far as you know, as far as moving, um, you know, moving pieces out. But we've talked, you know, we've talked about length about San Antonio. They just don't make trades during the regular season. But I think you have to come to the realization as far as what you want to pay Demar Derozan down the road here. And I think that's kind of the team that you know certainly to kind of circle when we, when we get closer here. Yeah, I've floated uh, Dallas as an Andre Guadala uh, trade team. Um, Using Court Lee as a primary um, option there, even if even if Memphis only realized one second round pick out of it, um, that might be the best they can get, and it's more it's uh, more palatable than straight buying him out. You don't start with that negotiation, but if Dallas wants to go that route, and heck, Dallas is in the thick of this right now. You pick up a, a veteran like that, um, you know. Uh, it's better than letting Courtney Lee walk for nothing. Plus, you would inherit his bird rights. I'm not saying that he would necessarily want to extend there, but you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I, you know, maybe he's going to retire. I don't know what he's going to do, but um, that's a possibility um, uh, there as well. But I mean, we'll be. Oh, one one other player. Um, keep an eye on uh, Tristan Thompson, who's having a career year for Cleveland, the last year of his contract. Um, mm. Definitely having a uh, quietly uh, contract playing great. Yeah, definitely having it in his contract year season, but is and he, he doesn't shoot, but is a is a valuable defensive player when he's engaged. Uh, the last couple of years hasn't been as engaged, but he can switch um, onto smaller players at least when he's playing well. Plus, he's a great offensive rebounder, which is always valuable in the postseason. So keep an eye on that. But we'll be talking um, more about that a lot in the coming weeks. But we just. You can start the clock down because Bobby. I assume that the talks are starting to go on now with December fifteenth, two weeks away. You're you're probably they're they're, get, they're getting there. I've already gotten, I think, eighty percent of this trade guide that's will be out in mid December already done. So um, teams are starting to talk. It's just a matter of kind of you know who's ready to panic first, right? That's always what we saw. I think Philly last year was. At, I don't want to say panic, but they you know they jumped in and got Jimmy Butler right in November. They got in front of everyone else, right. but. Kind of who's going to be that team who's going to be more of a buyer and a seller. This year, no November trades. Uh, one other name, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich in uh, Sacramento. Uh, unrestricted, unrestricted free agent. Uh, restricted free agent. Oh, oh re- restricted? Yeah. Yep, he signed a three-year deal in, in Sacramento. Okay. With with all of Sacramento's uh, commitments, plus they have to pay De'Aaron yep. Fox, don't, don't know whether they can pay him. And he's a backup now because they've committed to Buddy Heald and and Harrison Barnes, he's a backup, and he's you know so. Um, all right, so we'll be talking more about that in the coming weeks. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. Have a great week, everybody.